Welcome to the Social Ideas Podcast, brought to you by the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation. This series looks through the lens of those striving for a better world. I'm Pam Mungru. There's a Facebook post doing the rounds at the moment, asking readers to understand that during this time of global pandemic, we are not all in the same boat. As the weeks of lockdown have gone by, communities are being led by grassroots organisations to ensure everyone is supported and cared for. Dr Lilia Dweeney is a research associate of the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation and the co-founder and CEO of Genpol, a think tank consultancy which researches matters of gender and advocates for a more gender equal world. Currently, Lilia is using some of her time in lockdown to work with and support her local mutual aid group. You might have heard and our listeners might have heard that uh, mutual aid groups uh, have been really blossoming uh, all around the country and actually uh, all around the world, especially in the, the, the countries that have been most cruelly hit by the pandemic, including my native Italy. And it, it's really fascinating to see literally how similar solidarity grassroots initiatives uh, have been blooming uh, in places that are so different when it comes to like civil and political and organizational culture really. So in uh, my specific case I am uh, among the administrators and organizers of a local group so what we do is supporting the, the most vulnerable uh, members of our community by offering them uh, different services. Things like delivering shopping and uh, uh, medical prescriptions uh, for those who are elderly or immunodepressed or otherwise vulnerable and therefore enabled to leave their homes. We have a phone call support service, so we would just uh, regularly uh, check in and give a friendly call to people who are self-isolating and uh, might like uh, chat. Interestingly, and this has really increased a lot in the last week or so, now we're getting more and more calls for help from people uh, who are actually unable to afford their groceries. So what we're doing is liaising with the local city council as well as with specialized charities local and otherwise uh, so think uh, homelessness charities and uh, women's aid and uh, mental health charities and so on in order to work together uh, to support these particularly vulnerable households and to act as a sort of uh, complementary emergency service if you like so to support these households while uh, the council or other specialised workers chip in and step in. In terms of your hand in social innovation and research, how are you seeing communities coming together in terms of social innovation? I think that's an excellent question. Well, first of all, as I said, I'm absolutely fascinated and uh, blown away by all these new uh, emerging forms of cooperation and solidarity because I think what they really point to is new and different ideas about novel ways to organize uh, societies including uh, the economy and welfare services and so on. There's a number of things that I found very very interesting. The first of which uh, is this kind of like interaction between at the very local grassroots level and the digital dimension. In fact, on the one hand, uh, what's happening, 
I think around the world, around the country, and uh, even like at the personal level here in Northern London, is very grassrooty, very bottom-up, and so on. However, obviously we are relying quite heavily on uh, digital technologies to organize. And I mean, this was true, obviously, for, for every kind of community activist or otherwise, uh, even before the pandemic. Uh, but the recent developments have just uh, accelerated and increased this to a dramatic degree. And what I find very interesting is that from what I can see, the most successful experiments in mutual solidarity during this uh, public health crisis uh, really seem to be those in which digital technology is used absolutely indeed to reduce physical distance, but still from within local communities. So in our case, with our local mutual aid group, for example, by helping people to stay in touch with their neighbors and, and so on. And to me, that seems to reveal really how, while technologically enhanced human connections definitely help, especially in a situation like the current one, in the boundaries between online and offline uh, life obviously get more and more blurred. However, there is still a huge need for physical and uh, localized contents. Then another thing I find interesting, I suppose, as a social innovation scholar, if I have to put my kind of researcher uh, hat on, well, the challenges that those who, who, who animate and participate in this mutual solidarity grassroots initiatives have to deal with. Organizational challenges, first of all, coordination issues. So we're talking about many people coordinating with each other and then coordinating with uh, uh, public services or more established charities and so on. You know, that can be chaotic at times. It might even seem uh, slightly inefficient. However, what I've been really thinking throughout these last days is that I think it's finally time to go beyond the conventional narrative around the horizontal democracy efficiency trade-off. I really think it is a false problem. What do you mean by that? I think in uh, political debates and academic debates alike, uh, People have often put forward that, you know, it's all very well to try to come up with new ways for people to uh, organize democratically and horizontally and level up power dynamics and so on. But at the end of the day, democratic organizing is inefficient. And I personally think this is the wrong way to look at this uh, and that what's happening right now is a brilliant Uh, demonstration of just that. In the sense that, yes, democratic organizing uh, is complex, of course, by definition, but it is also essential to political, economic, social, and I'd say human life, really. And I think, you know, movements such as uh, uh, Occupy and Podemos uh, in the last few years, and more recently Extinction Rebellion here in the UK, have really paved the way for new ways of uh, thinking of how to discuss and organize and make decisions collectively. I'm not saying that these methods have always worked in every single instance. However, I think uh, they have all been and they all are interesting uh, experiments. I'm specifically interested in the ways in which uh, women and the BME people and other kind of historically marginalized groups uh, 
through these methods, through these new democratic uh, horizontal experiments uh, and manage to become more integrated into these decision-making processes. And, uh, and I think, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is that the fact that we are now witnessing this kind of viral solidarity, this sort of wave of collective organizing is not only due to the pandemic, but also to this uh, interesting experiments that we have had uh, uh, in the last few years. Now, another phrase that I quite, I quite like hearing, I don't know why, is this is the new normal. There is a, a wholehearted belief by many, or at least a wholehearted wish by many, that once we have come through this, that mm-hmm. life as we know it will be different. Now, in terms of the groups that are coming together and the way communities are coming together and helping one another, yes, I think that has in my personal opinion, I think that's made a change. But in terms of systemic change, in terms of political change, do you think this is going to actually have an impact? Yes, for sure. The $1 million question is, which impact? And you know, many intellectuals and activists uh, across the world are kind of grappling with exactly the same question right now. You know, Naomi Klein and Angela Davis uh, uh, among those. uh, And people are asking, uh, what are we going to have? Are we going to have uh, a reaction that is similar to the one that followed the Second World War, which really implied, you know, the construction of the welfare state and uh, just a shift towards... uh, progressive uh, and compassionate policies? Or are we going uh, instead to deal with a kind of post-2008 financial crisis-like reaction? And, uh, you know, as you said, I think the current public health crisis is a very political crisis. It is political, number one, because of how the the, the virus and the related safety measures uh, have armed and are harming some people and some groups more than others. So as I said at the beginning, because of how existing patterns of socioeconomic inequalities have been uh, revealed and uh, and even intensified. Number two, it is political because uh, actually the reason why our countries are currently unable to take care of so many of us, too many of us, uh, is because of the specific economic and uh, public policy choices that have been made in the last few decades choices that descend from very specific political ideologies and a very specific view of the public sector in particular. Uh, So they descend from neoliberal beliefs uh, around the fact that public welfare should be drastically reduced. And that obviously included cutting uh, uh, national health systems, where those systems existed and so on. So Yeah, I completely agree with your initial statement with the idea that whatever it happens when we we come out of all this, uh, the world is going to be different. And I believe this because I think that the pandemic and, you know, once again, the solidarity initiatives that we are discussing are a demonstration of this, can be an opportunity to question all that, can be an opportunity to go the post-Second World War way and and use these uh, as an opportunity to build new ways uh, to, to, to organize and to take care of each other, to build uh, new alternatives. However, it could also be used uh, as an excuse uh, for another wave of austerity measures. You see, something that really concerns me once again as uh, 
social innovation researcher is the fact that already before the pandemic, there was a trend within the social innovation space to use uh, social innovation initiatives uh, uh, just as an excuse uh, to argue that actually we don't need public welfare anymore. So to replace public welfare services with uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, grassroots social innovation initiatives. While uh, I personally still think that public sector has uh, a huge role to play in the way uh, citizens and especially the most vulnerable ones must be taken care of. And so what we really need to do right now is to think of ways in which grassroots groups uh, and the public sector and literally uh, all stakeholders involved can work together to achieve just that. One of the things I did want to ask you though, as an individual, Put to one side your hats of researcher, uh, intellectual, academic. As an individual um, who's taken up the call, who decided that she wanted to get involved, what was it that motivated you? Well, several things really. I think personally and emotionally, the fact of being uh, Italian and an Italian abroad has played quite an important role there. And I can see parallels in uh, Chinese and Iranian and Spanish communities abroad in the sense that um, I and we uh, witness, uh, you know, our home country and our loved ones back home uh, dealing with all this for a few weeks, uh, even before uh, the situation was comparable in the UK or in our host countries, wherever they are. Um, so I think uh, on the one hand, they definitely gave us uh, uh, an understanding of what was going on uh, even earlier than our, you know, at least some of our fellow residents here. At the same time, uh, I think there was something really powerful emotionally about a sort of feeling like we were forced to re-watch painful movies that, that we had just seen in terms of uh, what had happened back home, uh, just playing out in very similar ways here where we're living. And uh, B, also in terms of seeing uh, the importance and the success of uh, grassroots solidarity initiatives back home. So I knew for a fact that some of my good friends, some fellow activists back in Italy had been organizing and creating or making use of existing mutual aid groups at the local level, at the national level. There were also initiatives to support artists uh, uh, or sex workers or other categories who are particularly affected by the public health crisis and by not being able to work or women affected by domestic violence, migrants and so on. So that was already going on back home. And I had a few conversations with friends. There's a few of them were also researchers and activists themselves. So they were not only working on the ground, but they were also mapping what was going on in Italy at the local and national level. They created this uh, viral solidarity wiki project. And uh, so that, that was definitely a source of inspiration. And then more broadly, as I said, I think, 
you know, as someone who cares about social justice, uh, not just as a researcher who is interested in, in that intellectually, but as an activist and as a human being, first of all, as you said, I think I couldn't stop but thinking that, yes, our lives are all disrupted by what's going on. However, I am and so many of us are still so privileged. You know, there, there's something about being told to stay home that makes you think about those who do not have a home or do not have mm -hmm. a safe one. I would really ask, uh, I would really like to ask anyone who's listening uh, and who's obviously, as I am privileged enough to have uh, some uh, time and energy or perhaps some little money to devote to mutual aid and solidarity efforts in this time to please consider looking at what's happening uh, in the local area or perhaps uh, in the country or even globally. There's so many fundraising initiatives. They're all very important. I mentioned already some groups which are affected particularly heavily by the pandemic. So I mentioned victims and survivors of domestic violence. Obviously, I care strongly about this specific group of people. There's also migrants, there's inmates uh, who are at the moment locked in a facility that are becoming uh, uh, hubs for contagion. There's uh, vulnerable LGBTQ plus people, some of them HIV positive, some of them uh, uh, will have no relations or no good relations with, uh, with their families. So please do consider donating uh, either a quid or two or a bit of uh, your precious time and energy to help those uh, who are affected by the quarantine even more than you are. That was Dr. Lilia Juini, Research Associate for the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation and the co-founder and CEO of GenPol. You can find out more about the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation by following us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn and YouTube.